Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PJ Professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf at the Volunteer State. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directories, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at pbrandon 21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore Golf Pro. So I hope everybody enjoyed last week's replay of the interview with Jared Melson. Um, Jared and seven other professionals were actually teeing up this week uh, for the National Senior Club Pro. Uh, I think there are 265 players playing for 35 spots to move their way to the Senior PGA. So good luck out there, guys. I'll hopefully come with some highlights and bring up some talk with those guys as the season moves on. So starting off in the Pro-Am series, looking at Memphis at Colonial Country Club. Congratulations to Bobby Cochran and Mickey Barker, shooting 72, tying for low professional there. Coming in third is Mark Ziesman. Moving over to Knoxville at Wind River, uh, Dana Bennett shoots a 73, great plan there. Going over to the Tri-Cities at Pine Oaks, uh, Brian Bentley, 68, and Chris Stacy coming in second at 73. Moving over to the Mid-State, Henry Horton. Congrats to Brian Combeth, winning low professional at the event. Now, the reason some of the, the results are down um, and not as many people playing in the pro-ams uh, this week of professionals was we the Tennessee PGA also had the pro-pro-pro scramble. Just like it sounds, three club professionals get together, Golf their ball, take the best shot, and see who wins. I want to congratulate Josh Bevel, Alex Cox, and Brian Gordon shooting 17 under and winning the tournament. Coming in second was Helton, Personette, and Snell at 16 under. Tied for third, Fennell, Foster, and Hauser, along with Bergen, Hudson, and Whitehead. Moving in a tie for fifth place at 14 under, Jones, Bateman, and Mullins. Knight, Williams, and Moran. Perkins, Hutcherson, and Wood. So again, great job everybody get out there and play. Um, went to the Tennessee Mid-Am results. They're still not posted on those, so I'll get those updates to you as quickly as I can. So we're going to head right into listener questions. So the first one comes in from Tommy, and Tommy talks about, I was talking about course management and things like that um, over the last several weeks, and he wanted to know how I went about target selection how do i pick my spot commit my shot and and, and execute uh, to the best of my ability so tell me uh, for me um and again now getting more questions i'll need to know on this and i'll fire back at you and get get more detailed with you on this one but first thing i want to know is what you're currently shooting um because my target selection is going to be different recommendations for players that are not breaking in below 100 for players who are consistently in the mid 80s to low 90s and then once we start breaking 80 consistently then the target changes as well 
So what I would tell most people in that shooting in the hundreds, um, your main goal there is just to get it as close to the green as possible. So whatever the, I don't care if the pin's on the front, the back, for that player, just find out the distance to the middle of the green. Um, most of your sprinkler heads or your, your 150, 100 markers or GPSs or whatever you use um, to kind of figure it out, or you can actually shoot it with your laser. And then at your best judgment, is it front, middle, or back? But just hit the distance to the target green. Um, I tell my students this story a lot of times. There used to be a shootout um, in West Tennessee at the State Park in Pickwick, Tennessee. And um, the winner of the shootout got a free qualifying spot into this FedEx St. Jude Classic. And so when I finally got my game where I thought it needed to be, I went and signed up. And just so happens this particular year, it went from a 20-man shootout eliminating at least one person after every hole until there was finally one player um, after 18 to this year, they decided to do a par three shootout. So the front nine holes were all converted to par threes at different lengths. Um, and I made the choice that year that I was just going to hit the middle of the greens, give myself nine birdie chances and see what happened. Um, and, and I was fortunate enough to, to make two of them, shooting two under on nine holes in the par three contest, and actually won it and got my chance to go try and qualify for the FedEx St. Jude. No, that's not worth the story talking about. But the idea there was just to give myself as many birdie chances as possible. So this is something that I was doing at a, a very you know high level of golf, and it's something I'd recommend for players of not a high level, just pick the, the center of the green and hit that target. Now, once we start, and then that's just, a, a, again, center of the green, left, right, doesn't matter, just find the center and hit that shot. I don't care where the pin's at, just take your chances. Now, once we're shooting below 100 and creeping into the 80s, now I start to get a little bit more precise as far as shot selection. So I was doing a playing lesson with one of my students today. Uh, and this particular student, she has a tendency, if she doesn't commit to the golf swing, it leaks a little right. Um, so once we'd gone through the video portion and I had all my data for me to go through um, later and send to her, I started picking targets. And, you know, we'd get on a hole and I was like, okay, aim at this particular tree. And if she executed, it went dead at the tree. And if it didn't, my tree was slightly left of center, so it gave me a chance for that right shot to come into play. There was one particular hole. I lined her up at the cart path. She hit a great shot. Actually hit the cart path and knocked down there about 40 yards from the green. Um, and it was an easy up and down or chip up and, and make her par for. So target selection there starts to become your ball flight pattern. Now I tend to play a draw, so if I know I'm overturning it, I will shift my target a little rightward. Um, but I kind of watch the ball fly to the player. So, Tommy, whatever your shot selection is there, just kind of pick a spot where you think if you hit it straight, you're going to be okay. But if it curves your normal way, you're still going to be okay. Now, once we start getting into this better player mentality, so we're breaking 80 with some consistency, shooting the 70s and trying to get to the 60s, now I get a little bit formulaic. Um, if the pin's so many steps on, knowing their ball flight, I'm going to adjust them either left or right of the pin, depending on where it's at, just on the ball flight. And again, following the lines of that, that 80 shooter, hit a shot that's going to be, if it's straight, it's okay. But if it turns the way we expect it to, it's going to be okay. So kind of using a grid formula of hitting several shots with the clubs uh, and figuring out 
how far left or right your deviation is on a small sample of 10 shots or so and then kind of laying that grid over the green so if I have a draw player in the pins on the left then I'm going to have them line up center to slightly right of the pin the shot that hangs out to the right is on and putting the shot that turns over gets really close that same player has a bike right pin I'm going to have them aim slightly left of the pin just because the shot that they tend to push out to the right gets close if it pushes and comes back it's now in the middle green giving them a safer putt so again if we can get more and more greens hit we're going to lower our scores in most cases because we're better putting than we are chipping so Tommy I'll get back with you I'll figure out what your current scores are and kind of help guide you through that process but everybody needs to have their own formula of how to pick a target you know if it's uh, I like to hit one shot with my driver. I only like to draw the ball. So if the hole desires a cut, I'm either going to try and figure out a way to force my draw in there, or I'm going to hit a three wood or another club that I'm a little bit more comfortable working. But with the driver, I just try and make one swing over and over. Um, but again, Tommy, I hope that helps you a little bit. I'll fire back at you, see if I can help with that in a little bit more detail. Now the next one coming in from Ralph is how do you set goals and what to do when you actually accomplish them? And this is a really good one here, Ralph. Um, now, as if you listen to, and I, I'm hoping this kind of spawned from the rebroadcast of Jared's interview last week, but he doesn't like result goals. He likes process goals. Hit more fairways, hit more greens. We talked about that in quite detail. And I like to push that idea as well because if your goal is to break 80, you start adding it up in your mind and you generally make mistakes at the end and, and lose that opportunity and it gets, becomes frustrating. Whereas if your goal is just to hit seven fairways around and you jump out and you pipe the first seven, now you're freewheeling. You don't care because you've already accomplished that goal for the day and it's time to start, you know, ratcheting those goals up and moving. Um, so, you know, if your goals are when like tournaments or, or, majors um i use david duvall's example there so david is one of the few golfers that can claim number one player in the world during the tiger woods era so pre-2008 with the leg and, and all the back injuries um from when tiger turned professional in that 96 uh, realm david was one of the few guys that actually moved into the number one spot and he was doubted the or you know don the the best player to never win a major at that point and then he wins the British Open. Um, and, you know, his, his strive had been to win a major, win a major, win a major. And all of a sudden he did it. And he was unable to refocus himself and, and, and move on to his next goals. Whereas if he had gone back and if his goal had been to win multiple majors and win 10, or in Tiger's case, win uh, 18 or 19, so he passed Jack. Um, so that instead of just settling for one, change that number. Um, so Ralph, again, how I like to recommend goals are process. Um, ones I generally do are going to be hit every fairway in a round. That's a goal for a year. And I see how many times I can accomplish that. Uh, another goal I like to do is to hit every green in a round. Um, and I'll accomplish that. And, you know, if I hit 15 greens then I'll mark down that I've got 15 and that's my new record to try and beat, but I'm still trying to hit all 18. Um, another one I like to do is rounds below 30 putts and generally as I look at this and again Jared I talked about this in our in our interview if I hit every fairway I hit every green and I have less than 30 putts I've probably shot a good score um, I mean if I have 30 less than 30 putts and I hit every green I just shot six under depending on my golf course 
um, or, or better. Um, so again, just using little process numbers like that. So uh, I've got a very, very good system um, that I go through and look at and just kind of, you tell me the score you're currently shooting and I can tell you the number of fairways, the number of greens, and the number of putts you need to average. Um, and using that, and we go anywhere from 71 all the way up to 97, um, you're looking at an every two-shot gap. So I can tell you what shoots a 71, what shoots a 73. And with a lot of my students, uh, we'll go back and track the last five or six rounds, and we'll look at fairways hit, greens hit, and see what they should have shot. We'll look at putts, what they should have shot, and then what they actually shot. And you'll see more times than not, the numbers are almost identical. Um, and I didn't come up with the numbers. I found them online. There's lots of places you can find those uh, statistics on that. So nothing that I came up with and created myself, just borrowing the information from other teaching professionals and analytical people who've put that out there for us. Um, so Ralph, you know, it, it's I, one of the biggest ones I used to talk about was putting myself in a winning position or in a chance to win. Um, and all that really meant for me as a goal was to do everything I could to hit good shots. Um, if I stayed in the moment, I didn't get ahead of myself, I didn't force anything in there, I mean, I shoot a great score, but I did everything I could do that day. I didn't try and force anything. I didn't get aggressive when I shouldn't be. I didn't, you know, try to hit the Phil Mickelson magical shot. I just hit the shots that were within myself. Um, and, and to me, that was putting myself with a chance to win. Again, it goes back to if I get a lot of fairways, a lot of greens, and make a lot of putts, you're going to shoot good scores. So um, it's pretty simple uh, as far as me setting goals. Um, but once I accomplish them, I just make them harder. I mean, it's just like uh, going out to the golf course and, okay, I'm going to make five in a row from five feet before I leave today. Well, once that gets pretty easy, now I want to move that number to 10. Once that gets pretty easy, I want to move that number to 15 and just keep advancing. So looking at the goal as not what you have to do, but as the dream you want. And when you accomplish that dream, you just create new dreams and go on. I know Tom Kite talked about goals as something he hated. Uh, and Rotella's golf is not a game of perfect. Um, because he felt like goals were things coaches pushed on him. But his dreams were to play great golf and to win majors. And so for him, it was a dream. And so if that helps you, if you're you know statistical guy, then goals are numbers and quantifiable, and you can run that out. But for the more free-spirited, um, feel-style players, the dream um, of winning tournaments and putting yourself in those positions becomes the key. So, again, just keep dreaming, um, keep building those goals and going from there. But, again, once you accomplish them, just create new ones and keep that same focus and mentality. So, Mark, one of our regular um, listeners coming in with talking about green reading books. Um, we're seeing them more and more on the PGA Tour. I know I've talked about them uh, over the series this year. Um, I've actually talked about the apps as well. Um, just asking, you know, what's the benefit, why are they using them and, and what's going on? So Mark, um, number one, if you're looking for, if you're looking for one, um, there's a really lot of good ones out there. You can find Stracoline, uh, Putt View has actually offered a new one, um, that can actually give you the slope and the detail the golf logics program has a tournament option that'll tell you highs and lows and slopes of the greens. But what we're seeing from the players is that by using the books to be able to see the percentage or the degrees of slope, depending on how that book is, 
they'll see subtle movements that the naked eye just doesn't allow them to see. Um, very rarely is a putt straight. Now, there are different degrees or percentages, again, depending on no strike a line does percentages of grade. Uh, that's how most people tend to read it. Um, but the um, Greenmaster or the Breakmaster putting laser or level that I have actually reads degrees. Um, and so if I'm prepping for a tournament, I'll put the, the Breakmaster on the dot of the hole. And it'll kind of give me an idea of what direction it's breaking. It'll give me a, a number. And, if, you know, if it's less than one degree, there's really not a lot of movement there. So it's, even though it's not a straight putt, probably not going to be out of the hole. Um, if it's in one to two degrees um, range, now this one's turning a little bit more. So this one may move it a little bit outside the hole. Uh, and if it's three or more, then this one's just a big slinger. Um, and, and so using those numbers, it kind of helps me just quantify how much break I know to play. Now, I'm going to read a green with my eyes. Um, I've got some of my friends who read them with their feet. They use the aim point. Um, and if you're good with that, measuring slope with your feet, it's an amazing concept um, because it's, again, very formulaic as it goes through there. But once I look at something, again, I know it's less than one. It's not out of the hole. I know which way it's going to go. I, I kind of read it. Now, again, when I say that, that's in the, the two or three foot radius around the hole. So once you get 10, 15 feet out, you still have to read the rest of it. But knowing what it's doing at the hole kind of gives you an idea of where the fall line is. Where it's got the best chance of coming in. Um, so I know, like I said, PuttView just launched some of theirs. I was actually looking at them uh, earlier this week. Uh, I know Stracoline has been out there for a long time. Um, they're actually the one who does most of them on the PJ Tour. So you can find a lot of their stuff on the website. But really all they're doing is they're just telling you the direction of the slope or the runoff. And so by looking at those, if you've got a putt that's going up and over a ridge, it's easier to read it with the book to see both directions and then kind of put that to your mind. Um, so Mark, if you're looking at some of those, reach back out to me. I can give you those websites. Uh, again, it's puttview.com and stracaline.com. Uh, or you can go to the Golf Logics. They have a little app that you can download for your phone, um, and it can read a lot of that information. So Mark, good luck on that putting. See if that helps out a little bit. This one coming in from Eric um, and, and talking about pre-shot routine and pace of play. Um, so he says he's got a buddy of his that has a very detailed pre-shot routine that I've mentioned in the past that people need a pre-shot routine. But his tends to slow his group down. Um, he's slow about it, and if anything messes it up, he has to start all over. Um, and, and so Eric, um, to me, those are not the exact same thing. His routine is not a pre-shot, but it's just this methodical motions that he has to put himself through. Um, and if it's slow and that deliberate, in most cases, he's got too many thoughts running through his head, and that's what's actually slowing him down, not the routine. But the routine gives the appearance of it. So um, when I talk about pre-shot routine, uh, mine really takes less than 30 seconds. When it's time, my time to hit, the ball's going to be in the air um, in really 45 seconds to a minute. Um, and not tell anybody to copy my routine it's a practice swing it's a a twirl of the club it's set up 
this one, two, three stance set up, and then I, I look at the target and let it go. So very, very quick, rhythmic. Um, I've always modeled myself after Nick Price, Jose Maria Lothabo, who had very fast tempos, swings. Um, really enjoyed those guys playing when I was growing up and watching, and that's kind of who I modeled my motions after, just sort of the guys I liked. I liked the European guys a little bit flashier. Um, but the pre-shot routine, again, is just designed there to get you in the best frame of mind to hit the upcoming shot. So if your playing partner is getting really slow with their routine, and again, it's really hard to tell your buddies to speed up, but the USGA did adopt uh, the pace of play rules for last year, 2019, that you can now play ready golf. And so if your guy, your buddies are starting to drag you down a little bit, there's nothing wrong with getting over your ball a little bit sooner than they are and just, hey, why, hey I know you're going to make a club selection here. Let me go ahead and hit. And so those couple of seconds, um, even though it's you know very passive in that idea, your buddy starts to notice that everybody else is hitting before him. So that might help him speed up without saying anything. Um, but if your pre-shot routine is slowing you down, definitely need to figure out how to cut some chunks out of that um, and simplify it. I know I talked to one of my students years ago about this, what his was, and he said, yeah, he had one for, you know, irons and drivers, and he had one for chipping, he had one for putting. I was like, perfect, type it up and send it to me. Um, and the one for the full swing had 31 things in it, um, 17 of them before he ever stepped up to the golf ball. They were mental checklist of, you know, club selection and what's the wind doing. And again, those are all things that need to be considered into it. But if you're putting that much time in detail that you can tell me the 31 things you do before you hit a golf ball, there's way too much going on. Um, again, I can simplify mine very easily. Yeah, there's a tug of the shirt. Um, there's a slow motion backswing, a twirl, a twirl of the club. Um, but I don't even know that I breathe 31 times um, inside my time frame. So, again, just looking at it, you can get too detailed and too locked up in the motions um, instead of doing something that's actually good for your game. It actually boils you down. So, Eric... If your friend's slowing you down a little bit, start playing a little bit more ready golf. See if they can kind of peep up the pace. And, um, and then maybe give them a, a book or two over the winter uh, for the holiday just to kind of help the middle game and maybe get them out of that little rut. Um, so then kind of moving into the offseason, this last question didn't come from Johnny is, how do you work on the swing in the offseason? Um, so the first thing Johnny will tell you to do is, you know, get with your instructor, your PJ professional, and, and build a game plan of, Kind of going back to, to Ralph's question earlier, what's your goals? Well, what do you want to change in your golf swing? Um, when I'm working with a student, the reason we're changing the golf swing is I'm trying to change the ball flight. Uh, I'm not trying to make them swing like any one particular person. I'm trying to accomplish the ball flight they're looking for. So they tell me they want to you know, hit a cut, then I'm going to use Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson as, as a model. Uh, if they want to hit a draw, then I'm going to use a Zach Johnson or a Rory or Ricky or any of those guys. Um and, and so the first thing there, again, Johnny, is just kind of figuring out what do you want to change about your golf swing um, if you're making a change. And if you just want to maintain, well, then you've kind of worked on it all summer, um, got yourself in a good position, and you get with your professional and just do some drills to kind of stay on top of it. Um, there are very some affordable nets. Uh, I know I covered a lot of this uh, back in March and uh, April when we actually had some downtime um, because of the pandemic and, and what was going on. 
and, and how to practice and work on your game. And so spending some time with the Nets, uh, I know there's a lot of affordable launch monitors. Uh, I know a couple of my students have actually bought some recently so they can actually hit in their backyard into a net, but they can still see the ball flight. Um, so that they can make sure that the changes they're making or what we're working on is creating the ball flight they're looking for. Um, you can go back through past episodes and hear lots of those, but you've got FlightScope Meso, you've got Voice Caddy, you've got SkyTrack, you've got TrackMan, you've got Foresight. So depending on um, how detailed you want to get into that, um, that's always an option. But again, the other thing is just doing lots of drills. I know I find myself actually weekly going through and watching other videos and, and other drills from instructors trying to figure out different ways or, or you know borrow drills from them on getting people to work with things and I tell a lot of my students that I have I schedule about five hours a week time for them to send me drills that they've seen somewhere else I want to make sure it works um, I, I watch Trackman Maestro Joe Mayo uh, with a lot of his stuff um, I know I enjoy watching uh, Pierce um, and, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of his name, but me and my golf. Uh, I really enjoy watching those guys. Um, and a lot of the information they have is exactly what I'm working on with my students. Now, sometimes I disagree with what they're working on. We can, that's a later debate. Um, but there's a lot of great information out there. So get with your professional, figure out what's going on, and just stay in that line of communication. Um, I know with most of my students, I'm asking for about 20 to 30 minutes a day. Um, it's just practice they can do with swinging golf clubs or hitting tees or hitting balls into um, a net. So anything like that to stay in the rhythm and keep going. Um, you know, if you're looking to make the major change like DeChambeau did with the bulking up and the, the picking up a speed, there's a lot of great stuff out there as well. Uh, I know I went through and got the certification through um, Super Speed Golf a couple years ago. Went through their process and saw major improvement in my distance last year. Um, I'm hitting the ball further this year than I have been the last three or four years. And I know there's a lot more potential out there for me, so I'll be going through that as well. But again, John, you just got to figure out what you want to work in. Um, there's lots of great indoor, backyard uh, options. I know years ago the flop ball became very popular because it was a hacky sack. You could actually hit it indoors. Um, and if it hit walls or, or doors or something like that, it wasn't going to leave a dent, but it gave a, a semblance of a real golf ball closer than a wiffle ball did. So that's always a good option as well. So get with your professional, kind of work on that, figure out what you want to make changes over the winter um, because it's a great time because we're not playing as much. We can really ingrain those new habits. And then that way when, you know, we get back to time change and everything goes back to our spring and summer, we can start to see those changes stick with it. Well, everybody, again, this is Paul Brandon, PGA Professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Um, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us and, and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, tune in. You can find us at Believe.com, Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Keep the questions coming in. I'll keep the content coming. Uh, again, i got some hopefully some things lined up coming up over the next month or so as the season starts to dial down, uh, wind down, and time changes. I'll get some of these players, um, instructors, back on the interview list. Let's see who I can get some information from, talk to you. Um, it's going to be nice the next couple of days, so get out, play some golf, have some fun, and work on those goals. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.